This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Kateri Zuni, and tonight we share the keynote address from the 2019 UNM Black Cultural Conference, Blackness Unchained, featuring Erica Huggins, a human rights activist, poet, educator, Black Panther Party leader, and a former political prisoner. Ms. Huggins holds a master's degree in sociology and regularly speaks on emotional well-being, the incarceration of people of color, and the role of spiritual practice in sustaining activism and social change. Now, please enjoy this presentation from Erica Huggins, introduced by African American Student Services professional support intern, Danielle Curvin. And stay with us for an exclusive interview with Erica. Erica Huggins is an educator, former Black Panther Party member, political prisoner, human rights activist, and poet. For 37 years, Erica has lectured in the United States and internationally on human rights, restorative justice, and the role of spiritual practice in sustaining activism and promoting social change. She highlights the importance of inclusive grassroots movements that honor the voices of the marginalized, especially youth. Erica's work as a speaker and facilitator is based in her belief in the greatness of each human heart. She believes that each of us has the ability to look there for the answers to questions about the future of our world. Please welcome our 2019 Black Cultural Conference, Blackness Unchained, Erasing the Stigmas, keynote speaker, Ms. Erica Huggins. Thank you very much. It's always nice to take a moment of silence. We don't do it enough. We fill all the spaces with words and sounds. And one of the things that we can do, and I'll talk about it more later, to take care of ourselves is to find little moments of silence. The air conditioning gets to me, so I went outside and sat on a, a little patio in this building upstairs. And it was so peaceful. I didn't need to do anything or be anything. I didn't need to answer to anyone or to wonder if I'm okay. Build that into your day. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, come on, y'all. A little time for yourself. It's essential. I specifically want to thank Brandy Stone, who I met just a few months ago. <laughs> who puts her heart into everything and her brilliant mind into everything 100%. And for you, Brandy, I feel that equity and inclusion is not an issue. It's the way that we're meant to live. Is that right? I want to thank Devante Watson, who has one of the most beautiful on-the-mic voices I've ever heard, by the way, <laughs> and for making sure that I knew where I was supposed to be and when. And I want to thank Arlen, 
That's my buddy right there. If you don't know Arlen, you need to know Arlen. He's worth knowing. He's wise, insightful, funny as heck, and full of compassion. It's important to introduce one another to each other with what's real. The sweetness of Brandy, the kindness of Devante, and the just absolute present in the moment awareness of Arlen. We tend to think of each other according to identity rather than our humanness. And in fact, we are all human. And that is the conundrum, isn't it? For why we'd even have to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. That this country was built, its economy established on the heinous act of owning humans. It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth, isn't it? And so when we think about why we have to still be talking about equity, it's because of the legacy that has happened uninterrupted. I want to also thank Dr. Zarai and the Vice President of Student Affairs, who I don't see right now, Shale Torres. I want to thank the people who interviewed me from Generation Justice yesterday. You familiar with them? If you're not, you need to be familiar with Generation Justice and the person who interviewed me from Women's Focus. It's been a delightful time here because I was being asked to say things that are true. I want to say there are two highlights of my visit so far. And one of them is what was called The Mixer last night, where I got to talk to African-American students. It was deep. We laughed. I think we cried. And we were all touched in one another's company. We need to talk to each other about things that are going on. And this is a way of affirming radical self-care. We can't navigate this world without taking care of ourselves and others. This is the world you were born into. You didn't have anything to do with setting this up. I'm so sorry that it was set up this way. I've learned how to navigate it. I wish I could be everywhere at once and help you, but you can help one another. I want to thank also all of the faculty and staff of this wonderful university. And I want to thank the people who served us lunch. Thank you. Thank you. It's not okay to ignore all the humans in our midst, whatever roles they're playing, because actually we're just playing a role as well. I want to have us pause for a moment to acknowledge that we are standing on or sitting on walking on, living on, indigenous land. 
And I made a short list of what I mean by that. And I wish I knew more. I wish I could live here long enough to truly understand the history of Albuquerque, which was named after a colonizer. But I want to honor the peoples of this land, whose land it still is, although we do not often acknowledge it. Yacoma, the Mescalero, the Zuni, Santa Clara, Navajo, Alamo, Ramah, and more. I don't want to walk heavy on the earth. I don't want to act like I own this. I'm a temporary. But the good thing is that while we are here, we can do simple things that can become great. You can take care of the peoples right around you with the skin you're in, with the body that you have, with the skills, experience, and talents that move you forward. You can strive to have a whole being education, not just the education of your mind, education of your heart, of your emotions, of your very inner being. And some of us walk around in the world of education feeling like we're not whole. However, I have a message for you, and it took me decades to learn it. You are immensely good. You are exquisitely beautiful. There is no other individual comparison and nothing. No one can change that. Here we are in this beautiful environment, in a world where the climate is trying to tell us something, is telling us what to do, and we're not fully listening. Indigenous principles tell us what we need to be doing, that we should see the creator in all things. But we're so busy with whatever's miring our minds that often we're not paying attention to the signs, the natural disasters, the human disasters. These are all human-made things. Why am I talking about climate in a conference that's about blackness unchained? Because this is the world where we want to be unchained. This is the environment in which we can walk free and bring others with us. But we have to be so aware of where we are in a world where little babies and children are held captive in prisons on the borders of our country. And what will we do? We will continue to do all of the good things we're doing now, and we can send our well wishes at any point in the day that the feeling arises. Those are our babies. Those are our children. And how could this happen? It didn't happen in 2016, I'm sure you know. This is a continuum of systemic racism, structural and institutional racism that has us all held captive by the idea that if we're just good little people, everything will be fine. 
people who are citizens of the United States are being deported. I'm setting the stage for what race and mental well-being have to do with one another. We are living in a time of cumulative trauma. And that's not okay. However, as many people have said today, if you need help, ask for it. If you want solace by sharing with someone a specific trauma, a specific inner wound that you're carrying, talk about it. I'm so sorry that little boys and men are told that they have to wear a mask. And I want to say particularly black men. We walk in a world where the police are not going to ask us about our degrees. Isn't that true? They're not going to ask us what university we go to. We may not finish unless we're all unified in shifting something that is huge. And it starts with every heart. At age 12, I knew that I was a descendant of Africans. My mother told me. And then she told me about slavery. And I asked her what that was. How did it work? Does it have something to do with why the little children who live in the housing projects across from where we live in Southeast DC don't have heat in their homes? Yes, sugar, it does. I love going to Northwest, I told my mother, where the big department stores are in the snow in the winter and the Christmas time and looking in the pretty windows. But mama, the children, they're happy and their parents have big fur coats. Children in our neighborhood don't, why? And though my mother tired of my questions and would tell me that routinely, because I asked a million questions, he was able to tell me that it was systemic, not in those words, that this started long ago and have never been intervened on, not once in this country, not once, not even spoken about. Actually, Barack Obama was the first sitting president to talk about race. So whatever's in the closets of our hearts, we need to swing open those doors and fly open the shutters and windows and let the truth at least be something that we make clear to ourselves. I was 15 when I went to the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And while I was there, I was so touched by one woman who stood to the front of the dais where all the speakers were sitting and she sung the word freedom. That's all she did. And I stood there in my little, my tall, 15-year-old body, feeling the word freedom fall over the bodies of all of the people there. And in that crowd of thousands of people, thousands of people, everyone fell silent. Out of that silence arose a bow in my heart. I will serve people for the rest of my life. When I was at the Historical Black University Lincoln in Pennsylvania, I read a magazine about the Black Panther Party for self-defense. And I told you this, Deja, earlier today, didn't I? 
And I was so touched by this article about a group of people whose call to action was all power to all the people. They didn't just say all power to black people, all power to brown people or Asian people, all power to women. They said all power to all the people. I had never heard anything like this, that they wanted to work on behalf of all oppressed people in the world. And that included, for me at that time, the Vietnam War was raging. Police abuse was rampant and unspoken about. And he was this little organization, little at the time, that was working to change the world. So no wonder the picture in the article of Huey Newton, who was the co-founder with Bobby Seale of the Black Panther Party, no wonder it showed him with a bullet wound in his belly, strapped to a hospital gurney under police watch. That article brought clear to me that there is something that needs to change. Something at the heart of the country, something in the mind of the country, something in the collective awareness of us all. And so I decided to join the Black Panther Party. And when I did, I found people of all kinds willing to give their lives service to humanity. One of them was John Huggins, who was a student on the UCLA campus. He was a Black Panther Party member as well. And because of the reaction to the Black Panther Party of Black men and women saying, no, this cannot be tolerated any longer, as the result I'm arrowing forward in history a bit. John Huggins and my friend Al Prentice Carter on January 17th of 1969 were assassinated in a situation organized by an internal clandestine subset of the FBI called counterintelligence. I became a widow and a single mother of a three-week-old, like that. My heart felt like shattered glass. And within two more months, I was arrested for a conspiracy and held without bail for two years awaiting trial. So what did I do? I thought, there's nothing that I can do to bring John back. And so I taught myself to meditate. I was feeling like a whole human in a prison and valuable for one of the first times in my life. I was feeling like I could be a good mother sitting where I was sitting. I've continued to meditate every day since. By the way, I was able to go and be with my daughter for that one hour every Saturday. I was able to be totally present with her. I'd cry all the way back to my cell, but she didn't see it. I am saying self-care is a no-joke kind of thing. We are, many of us, walking wounded. And mental health is not a conversation in our mouths. 
We're afraid of one more dang thing a black person, as an example, has to contend with. And so we shut up and shut down. And then add intentional suicide that takes one's physical life or something that we do that puts us in jail, something that brings harm to ourselves and others. And so I'm saying that, that where I travel around the country talking to students and to faculty and to adults and to incarcerated people and to children is that I'm finding that people are weary. People are tired. People are sad. And that there is so much joy in the human heart is forgotten. And so now I want to share with you something that was shared with me. It's a simple practice. A friend of mine from a tribe in East Africa taught this to me, and I don't remember the African words. I don't want to booger them up. And it's simply like this. The greeting is, I see you. And the response is, I am seen. I see you. What's your response? I am seen. I see you. I see you. I see you. I see you. How does that make you feel? You're smiling, my friend. What does it bring up in your heart? Joy. There is joy to be found in the moments of our lives. While all the other things are happening, there still is joy. I have to believe that. I have to know that with everything in my being that people greet each other like that, that they acknowledge their, their, their greeting isn't, hey, what's up? And then you tell them what's really up, and they're like, oh, I see you. I want to know that. So it's real. We can really engage with one another and look out for one another and speak to each other with kindness and compassion, and we can take care that way of what we pass on to that little baby right there and all the babies. That little baby, what do we want for him or her? That he belongs wherever he is. That the world is his as well as ours. And that there isn't anything that he cannot do in and outside of the academic environment. I talked to a 13-year-old young Latinx, Tommy Angel. I just love his name. You'll hear why in a minute. And I said, Angel, what is it that you want to do when you finish school? I want to be a neurosurgeon, he said. I said, whoa, that's specific. And that's great. Do you know that people of color don't get to be surgeons in high numbers, and particularly neurosurgeons? He said, I didn't, but now I do. I said, and your name is Angel. So from now on, I'm going to call you Dr. Angel. Is that okay? He said, that's cool. That's cool. Dr. Angel. So this is how we have to show up instead of just showing up in our silo. To 
just showing up for our people, just showing up for our family or our friends. We are all connected. There is so much I want to say, and there isn't time for me to say it all. But by the way, the charges against me were dropped, obviously, and I was released. That was one of the happiest days. If you cannot walk outside and see the sun, you will have immense gratitude for it. If you cannot be with your child and you are reunited, you will have such gratitude for a human birth. If you cannot say hello to your friends and once again you have that opportunity, gratitude arises. Think right now of three things you're grateful for and walk through every day with that awareness. It'll lift you. It so does for me. Gratitude for being alive and upright and able to finish sentences. It's important that we know that we can uplift Black people that Black people can uplift Black people, that Latinx people can have each other's backs, that if some place in the structure of the institutions in our lives, someone tells you that is impossible, you say thank you very much, and you go on, write about your business up uplifting. There is nothing that would keep you from doing good work in the world. So the last thing I want to say is that it starts inside you. It doesn't start with the government. It doesn't start with a supervisor at work. It doesn't start with a professor in the classroom. It is your inside job. So I want to leave you with one thought. Love, the love of yourself and others. Love is a great power. Use it to transform your world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Me and my friends in high school always wondered, do you think that a second generation of Black parents would be efficient today as it was back then or no? You know how when you take a picture, particularly if it's an old picture, I wish I looked like that, could be like that, was there. You can't drag that experience forward into today. But what you can do is remember the experience and bring it. So I don't like to compare things, but I do want to say that the awful pushback for organizations today is very similar to the pushback then. Until we have more congresswomen like Ilan Omar and Alexandria Ocasio. Until we fill 
the spaces that make decisions for us, with us. So we can do that. But I don't like to make comparison. It's, it's too cerebral. We want to be in touch with the reality of the communities that we come from and eventually we'll go back to, hopefully. Thank you for your question. It's very nice to meet you, ma'am. And you, what's your name? I'm Darius. I'm from UTEP. I'm a part of the Black Student Union. I'm sorry, a little shy. All right, I'm going to stop, though. Uh, all right. It's all right to be shy. It's all right. <laughs> My question for you is, growing up, I continue to try to be as progressive within myself as possible, trying to always uplift others in a more positive fashion. But there comes a time when I fear it's just... What I do isn't enough sometimes, but it's just because it's so many obstacles in the way of trying to reach a goal for the benefit of your people. And so it's just, I was just wondering in times of adversity, you know, how you possibly overcome that when the odds are stacked against you. Thank you for that beautiful question. It's a brave question, very personal, and it's very universal. So one day when I was barely 20, I had the same thought. And I went to John Huggins all having a pity party about I wasn't doing enough. We were both in the Black Panther Party. We were, we were working 19-hour days. But I looked at the world and I thought, I've got this little bucket of water and this huge raising fire. And I was crying. How am I going to put it out? And John looked at me very compassionately. And he said something that emblazons a wall, by the way, in the UCLA, in Campbell Hall, where he was killed. Erica, you cannot make revolution in society or you make it in yourself. I'll leave you with that. What it did for me, it landed in my heart and it softened all this edge I was feeling. that I wasn't good enough that I was doing the best I could, and it has encouraged me to invite others to do their best. And so I invite you, working with the great things you're already doing, and keep inviting others to do so. Well, thank you for your questions. I wish we had time for more, but Danielle will come and say what's happening next. Thank you so much. On behalf of the students, staff, faculty, and community, we want to thank you for traveling to our city and inspiring us to implement radical self-care in our lives. We look forward to spending the rest of the conference with you, and thank you. Thank you to UNM African American Student Services and to conference coordinator Devante Watson for inviting us to this amazing presentation. Now, longtime GJ member, UNM graduate and Fulbright scholar, Nicole Beatty sits down with human rights activist, poet, educator, Black Panther Party leader, and former political prisoner, Erica Huggins. 
This is Nicole Beatty with Generation Justice, and I'm here speaking with Erica Huggins, a Black Panther Party leader, activist, and former political prisoner. Currently, Erica is an international speaker and poet and facilitator for discussions on race and other structural inequities. 2019 Black Cultural Conference at UNM is in its third year, and it's an honor that Ms. Huggins is this year's keynote speaker. Welcome to Generation Justice. Thank you very much. How did you get that name, Generation Justice? So we were formerly called the Youth Radio Project, so I was part of the Youth Radio Project, and it was actually the youth who named it, so I don't necessarily know the, the deep roots, That's but... Really a beautiful name. Thank That's you. That's why I asked. As a woman in leadership, what are some of the lessons you've learned leading in the Black Panther movement that you carry with you today? That in conversation, you step up and then you step down. I learned not to go there if I'm not going to go there. I learned something that was the motto of the Black Panther Party. We serve the people, body and soul. And that speaks volumes. To fully give up yourself. What I didn't learn is, and take care of yourself while you do that. But I did learn how to give myself fully to any task, to a project, to a community survival program, or to the person or the friend that is in need of help. You said that you didn't learn to also take care of yourself. So when did you come into that? How did I come to it? I was incarcerated. I was mm, 20 years old, a widow, a new widow, and a new mother. When I was incarcerated, my child was three months old. And so I knew that I wasn't going to make it in the hostile and solitary, it was both hostile and solitary environment of the women's prison I was in. I was not allowed to talk to other women. So I couldn't share how I was feeling, the grief and the loss. So I for some reason that I do not know, I decided that I should teach myself to meditate. And I asked one of my lawyers to get me a book on yoga and meditation. I want to say again, I don't know why. It was just in my DNA, as we say. And so I did. And that saved me. Just sitting still, noticing my breath every day every day before the trial began, which was 14 months because I wasn't allowed bail, and every day during the trial, which was six months, and then, you know, until the charges were dropped against myself and Bobby Seale, conspiracy with the intent to commit murder charges. But the beauty, the highest benefit is that I was able to be with my daughter fully and be present with her when she came to visit. You see, it was only for one hour each Saturday that I could see her. So I was about to say, I cannot go. I can't see her. I'll cry the whole way through and scare her. But meditation allowed me to be present and focused, and that's what it has allowed me ever since. It is an anchor in my life. That's so beautiful. It was something in your DNA and it anchored you. I feel like you carry it in all your spaces, or at least in this space. So after losing your husband and being charged and incarcerated for conspiracy, all as a young mother, what were some internal assets that you had 
or that you developed in order to find the silver lining in your life? I learned by being incarcerated with women of all kinds that a human birth is so valuable. We've been told that our birth, our lives are not valuable. And I started an organization inside the prison called Sister Love. It was under the guise of doing hair, you know, that was our way of disguising the conversations we were having because people can get their hair braided or curled or straightened or whatever. And the conversations are most important. And what I found in those times where we gathered, this is after I was released from solitary confinement into the mainstream population, that women just wanted to talk about their lives and the quality of their lives. And they wanted to feel some joy. And they also wanted to know what to do to keep the cycle from repeating itself with their own children, who they also missed. So I came away from that experience wanting to abolish prisons. They have no purpose. And someone listening right now could say, but what about the this? And what about the rapists and the murderers and so on? 5% of the prison population are that level of violent crimes. For the most part, especially black and brown women who are the fastest growing population of incarcerated people, by the way, are not there for murder or rape. And the crimes aren't committed at the grassroots level. The crimes are systemic and are decided upon in rooms of power and privilege. They don't include us. No, um, we're not in the decision-making not, rooms. Yeah. We can be. That's another thing that I took away. My voice is important. I never thought my voice was important before I went away to prison, really. That's why I wrote poetry, because I could talk to the paper. But I didn't think my voice was important because as a child and a teenager, other than my mother, I was silenced a lot in school, in my mother's church, in not in my mother's family, but in other parts of my family. So I learned that my voice is important. And then I shared that learning with others. That also speaks to what we do here at Generation Justice, is that a lot of youth have this narrative, and it's true that they're constantly silenced and put aside. And all we are, we're currently in this movement where youth are definitely, well, youth have always historically been in, in these grassroots movements. But like, that's what we do here at Generation Justice is like we harness, like we have a voice and we share it. And we, we have this platform and we allow them to create their own space and give their own message, conduct their own interviews. So that's amazing. And I think that's powerful. This year's Black Cultural Conference theme is Blackness Unchained. What does Blackness Unchained look like or feel like for you? It looks like you. It looks like everybody you can think of that you can visualize or experience in your own mind right now, finding the joy in life. I was thinking on the drive from the airport to the hotel and then from the hotel to here, how beautiful the sky is, how beautiful nature is. I always say that. I'm always looking for the beauty. It's always there. We've been taught not to look for it because our lives are so full of suffering. But if we don't look for it, how's it going to happen? 
If we don't find joy in living, who will find it for us? So there's a balance to living our lives on purpose. Yeah, I like that. And it starts here, not externally. Given all that you've experienced with the surveillance of activists in the history of the Black Panther movement, what are the parallels to what is happening today? Recently, I read Patrice Cullors' book, When They Call You a Terrorist. And I called a friend of mine, a dear friend of mine, who I met in the Black Panther Party. And I said, you have to read this book. It's us, but modern day. It is the same level of surveillance. It is the same level of police tracking. It is the same government angst about Black people. And of course, Black queer women. Come on. That we will, not that we'll do something harmful, we will change some things. So it's the same story again. And all of the organizations that are for forward movement, for Black liberation, as we used to call it in the 60s and 70s, are being seen as criminals. It's a conundrum, isn't it? Because we know where crimes are committed. It's not Patrice or Alicia or Opal or anybody else you can name. They have other names. However, also the movements today are about systemic and structural racism and sexism and homophobia and ugliness about people who are not able-bodied. And the idea of intersectionality, it wasn't a term as such then, but we had that term for how things really work. They all come in a cluster. It's a matrix, or I like to think of it as a spider web. And those in power are not ready to relinquish their power, like the big spider and the little bugs. So we have work to do. And I think our work is intergenerational. Some of my favorite, favorite panels and conferences and speaking in locations where people of color are not appreciated or just not there, not there. I don't know if they're underappreciated. That's a misspeak, but not, not available. The intergenerational conversations are so uplifting because I learn, because everybody in that room is learning and it has nothing to do with age. So supporting young activists today to feel good about themselves and to take time for themselves is really very important. And it allows me to continue to take time for myself. What advice do you give to young people on balancing the work of activism and organizing or academia within their spiritual well-being? Eat real food, get sleep, talk to someone you can trust who has your back, don't gossip. I could think of other things, but those are right at the top of my mind because they work for me. Spend time with yourself. And so someone says, well, what kind of time is that? It doesn't mean that you're calling your best friend to help her move. It's your time with you. And some young women in Los Angeles were the first that I heard term it radical self-care. It's taking care of your own stuff and not waiting for somebody else to give you voice. 
to make you matter, to hear you. You are in control, as it were, of your inner dialogue. So that's my advice. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I'm feeling that I want you to tell your mother how brave she is. Tell your mother how grateful we are that she birthed you and brought you to the point where you are because you are important on the planet right now. And for all the mothers listening, thank you for doing the hard work of mentoring another human being so that they can navigate the world, which often feels quite crazy, so that they can navigate the world and be sane. So that was the last thing I want to say. What's your mother's name? Kim Ballin, so N-G-U-Y-E-T. We all call her Nunu. An amazing soul. You talk about activism. And I think in my household, we never spoke of it in the way of like activism. It was always in the way of my mother just intrinsically knew how to show up for folks. And she did it in a way where it was like effortless, where she was without being spoken. She'd be like, you know what, Nicole, I made extra food. You need to give a plate to this neighbor and this neighbor. Oh, we went to a farmer's market. I brought enough vegetables and fruits for this neighbor and this neighbor. And you need to go on a trip and you need to give this and this to these people. Um, because it's important that we share food in this way. So she comes from a place, and this is something that I learned when I went to Vietnam, is that it's very important to share food in community. And we do it in such a way where it's like, there's like so much love in it. And it's like always andi, which is like, keep eating, keep eating, because it's like an expression of love. And I was just like, of course, of course, it's within the Black way, the African way. It's within like my Vietnamese heritage. And I just think the way my mom goes about it is like, yes, we share food and community to those who come to our home, but she also makes sure we do it in a way, even if we can't share the same location, that we can give out that way. So I will definitely share that with her. Thank you for this interview. It's been wonderful. Thank you, Erica, for Generation Justice. This is Nicole Beatty. Erica, thank you so much for the time you spent with Generation Justice and with the community and for the invaluable wisdom and love that you shared. And Nicole, thank you for the beautiful work on this interview. El aqua to both of you. Before we close our program, we'd like to announce an event happening this Saturday, October 26th. Native Hawaiian cultural anthropologist Lehua Lopez presents The Hawaiian Ancestral World. This presentation will explore the stories and multidimensional worlds of Hawaiian origin, and Lehua will share her own encounters with night marchers. This event will happen at Kalakapu Polynesian Dance School at 2500 San Mateo Northwest.
For more information, contact Ms. Lopez at 808-315-6888. That's 808-315-6888. We hope you've enjoyed this hour of healing and community. We'd like to give a huge thank you to Erica Huggins and to Devante Watson and UNM African American Student Services for allowing us to share this wonderful presentation. We would also like to thank KUNM for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners. Our website is generationjustice.org, where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which is also available on SoundCloud and iTunes. Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, with additional funding from the Konalma Health Foundation, and of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate. I'm Kateri Zuni, and we have some music to share with you as we end our program. First up is Elaine Brown with The End of Silence, followed by River by Ibeyi, and All Nations Rise by Lila June. Good night. You laugh at laws passed by a silly lot that tell you to give thanks for what you've already got, and you can't go on with this time one song that just won't change the way you feel. Well, you believe it, my friend, that this silence can end. We'll just have to get guns and be men. Faith.